I'm Chris Sheets, and I'm your host for the Celebrity Podcast, where we sit down with celebrities from the worlds of music, sports, TV, and movies to hear their stories about the pets they love. He was in Harper's arms the entire afternoon, just hanging out, eating all the, you know, the hors d'oeuvres and stuff like that. How cool is this? Charlie doesn't even realize he's in the Prime Minister's arms. The Celebrity Podcast, available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, February 6th. We begin with news from earlier this week of anti-Semitic images spray-painted in a southeast neighborhood. We check in with the Calgary Jewish Federation to get their take on what police are investigating as a hate crime. Next, we get an update on the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. With the appeal by four B.C. First Nations overturned this week, we're looking ahead to any other potential roadblocks to the project. We're talking with Vaughn Palmer, Provincial Affairs columnist with the Vancouver Sun. Then we look at the technical glitch surrounding the Iowa caucuses. We hear from David Terrace, professor of communication studies at MRU, on the next move for the Democrats. Next, we focus on the diet craze that seems to never end. We're speaking with a dietitian about the pros and cons of following a fad diet. And finally, think of it as golden agers going for the gold. We hear about the all-seniors games taking place this week across the nation at a chain of 31 seniors' homes and featuring competitors from 75 to 104 years old. Coming up to 909 on the morning news, Southeast Calgary residents woke up this week to find disgusting anti-Semitic images spray-painted on a sound barrier in their neighborhood. This morning, we check in with the Calgary Jewish Federation to get their take on what police are investigating as a hate crime. Adam Silver is CEO of the Calgary Jewish Federation, and he joins us now. Good morning, Adam. Hi, good morning. Well, it's a positive, I think, that the police got multiple phone calls reporting the graffiti, but the fact that someone would use these hateful words and the swastika in this day and age is a little astounding. How's your community reacting to this incident? Well, I think, I mean, just over a week ago, I was your guest and we spoke about the city's upcoming and now official proclamation of the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Mm -hmm. So one of the whereas points in the proclamation and one of the key purposes of the proclamation, in addition to honoring the memories of those murdered in the Holocaust, reads, uh, Calgarians are encouraged to commit to eliminating all acts and or expressions of anti-Semitism, racism, and discrimination in our community. How sad is it then that we are even speaking uh, about the hateful graffiti today? Uh, and certainly evident that it's even uh, even more necessary to include advanced and increased education in the areas of acceptance, tolerance, and diversity, and more in school, city, and community initiatives. Uh, our community, quite frankly, the police have been have been outstanding. We have a really strong and productive relationship with. Uh, Calgary Police Service, and especially with Senior Constable Craig Collins, who's the hate crimes coordinator, and Constable Kim McDonald uh, of CBS uh, of the CPS's uh, diversity team. Uh, so uh, Constable Collins actually let us know that the incident had happened, that it was being treated as a hate crime, that they were removing the graffiti immediately, and uh, that anybody uh, having information about this or other hate crimes uh, should email hatecrime at calgarypolice.ca. As far as our community, we're, we're sickened by it. Um, cowardly act whether through ignorance or threatening intent, it's still seen as threatening by our community. It's just shocking, isn't it? I mean, you know, Andrew alluded to it at the beginning. It's just that, that this continues to, to happen. I mean, wh- where would the idea of even putting, you know, a swastika on anything, where would that even come from? Well, like, did the police give you any kind of indication of the, when they, when they tr- finally track down these idiots who do things like this, sort of where this comes from and why still to this day? No, I mean, we, we, I think, we, again, we spoke last week about this, and then the fact is that we're still the, the most targeted uh, in, in this type of uh, offense and, and, and others. Um, and, uh, you know, again, whether it's, whether it's uh, 
uh, juveniles uh, doing silly uh, and things that they think uh, make them look cool or uh, or actual threatening messages, certain imagery, certain words. Uh, make no mistake, there was the word hate Jews on the, uh, uh, on the imagery. Um, this, this is a hate crime. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, and so we, you know, we hope that, that whoever's, uh, whoever's behind this is, is, uh, is caught and is, uh, is treated uh, to the full extent of the law. This is uh, one where the CPS very much involved, and it's been in the media. But I'm wondering if this happens maybe even more than we know about because uh, some community members don't report um, incidents like this. Have you experienced that in the community? Uh, we, 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 you know, we're, we're pretty much a see something, say something community. Mm-hmm. We believe, and that's not just, uh, by the way, solely for the Jewish community. You know, we have people reporting all types of hateful messages. We're unfortunately very accustomed to looking out for this kind of messaging. Calgary is a uh, is an amazing city and a mosaic, and and uh, becoming each and each and every year uh, much more diverse. Uh, and Calgary, you know, we we don't see some uh, some of the volumes of this uh, that we you know know about in other cities, but. Certainly, that uh, that we're even experiencing this is is uh, it's a concern and, and something that all Calgarians need to be aware of and stand up uh, against. And I think you know, as you said earlier, we need to all speak up and and let the police know when we see something like this. And it's usually in a you know a high an area where it's a high visibility, so that people will see it, whatever the effect it's meant to have. It certainly is. I think it's very disconcerting to everybody in this city. So, what was that email again that we can uh, reach out to police if we spot anything that we want to pass along to them? Anything uh, that you spot, uh, hate crime, H A T E C R I M E. Uh, at calgarypolice.ca. What are you hearing from Jewish Calgarians? Do they feel safe in their own city? Uh, I think I think that we're uh, the answer is yes, but um, you know we're we're all too aware of the lessons. Uh, you know it starts with words, and so um, we are uh, we're cautious. Um, we believe that uh, that most Calgarians are are supportive of diversity. We have very good relationships with. Uh, many different groups within Calgary and Alberta, and uh, you know we, we just we have to be very careful. We don't we don't want we don't want you know we, not just us, but, the, but Calgary as a whole needs to be very careful that uh, that we're mindful of, of uh, spreading more kindness, more love, more support, more tolerance than uh, uh, and stamp, stamping out or, or blocking out the uh, the hate. Absolutely, Adam. That's an important message, not just for Calgary, Alberta, Canada, North America, the world. Right Absolutely. now, we need to be very aware of what's going on and and make sure that we all stand up and speak out. So thank you for joining us. We stand with you on this one for sure. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks so much. Adam Silver is the CEO of the Calgary Jewish Federation. Just, it's still, it's mind-boggling to me that this is still an issue that we're dealing with right here in our very own city. Well, and, uh, he touched on maybe a juvenile activity, and, uh, you know, you don't want to point to that. And obviously, Which police say, even if it is kids, you have they don't to, care. As a hate crime, yep. get in there and do it. But uh, in a, in, in, it's a completely different incident. But that same gentleman who decided to yell out that he has coronavirus on a flight, unfortunately, I think that there are people out there who want some notoriety. Shock value. Guess what, or... I, guess what I did that made it to the news. Um, is it a how? That's uh, that's your fame. Yeah. Then I people don't need to be speak if it's young people and that doesn't make it okay, as Adam said as well. But you need to speak to your kids and make sure they understand exactly what this means, particularly to the Jewish community who've been persecuted for. Eons. Yeah, and the police non-emergency number 403-266-1234 if you see anything in the city untoward uh, such as these messages.
The challenge filed by four B.C. First Nations against the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion quashed by the Federal Court of Appeal this week. So what's been the reaction from our neighbours to the West? To find out, we're talking this morning with Vancouver Sun political columnist Vaughn Palmer. Hi, Vaughn. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. So, uh, pleasure as always. What has been the reaction from, well, first of all, Indigenous groups in B.C.? It looks like they are not going to end their battle against TMX, does it? No, they said they're going to appeal the Federal Court of Appeal decision to the Supreme Court of Canada, which I, it was expected. Um, this is a pretty strong decision by the Federal Court of Appeal, and it's grounded in earlier decisions by the Supreme Court of Canada. So it is possible that the High Court will just let this stand. They won't take the case. That's happened here in B.C. with the Site C hydroelectric dam. The courts ruled that the consultations and accommodations were First Nations were adequate, met the Supreme Court of Canada standard, and the court just let it stand. So there will be appeals. They may not succeed. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that this doesn't really deal with the issue of trying to block construction, being arrested, uh, standing in the path of the bulldozers. I think we'll see some of that. As you know, construction has actually already started, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't gotten to uh, the flashpoint areas here in British Columbia. So um, I think we'll probably see protests as well. So you think uh, more than anything, Vaughn, it it could be just a symbolistic uh, protesting as uh, the train's rolling along? I don't think so. No, I think I think we're still going to see some fairly serious protests. And, you know, uh, British Columbia never lacks for drama on these matters. So, as you will know, we have another pipeline issue out here. This is a natural gas pipeline in the north. There is also an attempt by First Nations to block that. They have been blocking the right-of-way for construction of the pipeline for some time. We got a briefing from the RCMP yesterday, a fairly extensive briefing, indicating that they are preparing to enforce a court injunction against that blockade. Now, they're telling us it'll be non... They will try to be nonviolent. They're telling us they'll be filming what they're doing. Um, They're telling us they're going to make every effort to clear the way without any violence. But that has been a, a very difficult standoff. It's been building for years. So... I think the first thing we'll be judging in terms of determination by uh, Indigenous people is whether they make way for the RCMP Mm -hmm. up there or how many arrests there are. Vaughn, have we heard anything from John Horgan? I mean, he was a a very vocal opponent of the TMX pipeline. Have we heard his response to that and this LNG pipeline as well? He said something very interesting last week, and he said it in the context of this standoff in the North. And what he said to... Uh, indigenous people in the north about the gas pipeline was he said, look, I didn't like the oil pipeline expansion. I didn't like the Trans Mountain pipeline expansion. But I fought it all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, and I lost, and I accept the verdict of the courts. So that's the end of it, right? He's not, no more tools left in the toolbox, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, right? But he said to First Nations, he said, look, the courts have spoken just as clearly on the natural gas pipeline. They've issued an injunction. They've said you can't block this project. It's been approved. The permits are legitimate. So he's asking them, in effect, to respect the same 
kind of procedures, similar procedures, as he respects. So the irony, I would say, is that the the decision out here uh, this week on the Trans Mountain expansion, the First Nations challenge, makes it very, very clear that First Nations don't have a veto over these projects, and they can't just stall them, and they have to compromise, and they must take part, and they have obligations as well. I can see the New Democrats taking all those arguments, it's sort of ironic because they didn't like the TMX project, and applying them to the natural gas pipeline fight in the north. Now, you know, there are differences. Lawyers always say circumstances alter cases. One's a federal project, one's a provincial project. The issues are but the issues are similar. The issues are essentially the First Nations have a veto over these kinds of projects. Well the courts have been very clear now in saying they don't No they don't. Yeah. No they don't. And they've said it the I, I recommend reading the the uh, Federal Court of appeal decision because it also deals with something that gets overlooked in the coverage sometimes. And here's this question, the public interest. So the national government eventually decides to approve a project on the public interest. And First Nations that oppose the project say, well, you know, what about our interest? The court said something very, very interesting in the TMX case. And I heard Premier Kenny quote this passage. I I give you Clause 78. The court said, look, 120 of the 129 First Nations whose interests are affected by the TMX expansion, so 120 of 129, either support the project or have not actively opposed it in court. And 43 of those First Nations have signed benefit-sharing agreements. So the Federal Court of Appeals said, and again, this is paragraph 78, said the federal government, in deciding the public interest on this project, was entitled to consider the interests of all those First Nations. There's majority support with First Nations. That's also true on that gas pipeline. Twenty of 20 First Nations, their elected leaders, have supported the project, right? There is a group of holdout hereditary chiefs who oppose it. So we're getting the court saying, look, consent is important, accommodation is important, consultation is important, but we're not going to insist on unanimity. Mm-hmm. There will be holdouts. I mean, if you know you let somebody keep fighting and fighting, it'll be held up forever and ever. And that's what the courts really said in the end, wasn't it? Uh, quite true. In fact, the court is delicate and subtle and careful, right? They, they don't try to be mean, but it's very clear from reading that decision that some First Nations were using the consultations to simply stall. They were simply saying, nope, we just want the project killed. They weren't really accommodating themselves. They weren't compromising at all. They just didn't want the project. And again, the court said that's not what this process is for. The process is to work back and forth, but we all have to live here together. Mm-hmm. We all have to work together. And you can't just use process to kill something. You have to participate in good faith just like government does. Right. Wow, incredible stuff there. Uh, thanks for your time this morning, Vaughn. Uh, you're welcome.
Vaughn Palmer is Vancouver Sun's Provincial Affairs Political Columnist. 749, checking in with David Terras, Professor of Communication Studies at Mount Royal University. He joins us this morning. Hi, David. Hi, Sue. You're talking about the Iowa caucuses, the U.S. presidential primary system. Boy, it's been a bit of a gong show south of the border over the past few days, is it not? <laughs> in so many different ways. <laughs> in so many different ways. I mean, who needs the Russians to wreck your election Truly. when you can do it yourself? Exactly. Um, what a system. What a system. I mean, basically, it's 50 separate elections. And so for all the drama of, of Iowa has to be put in context, this is only one election. There are 49 to go. Wow. Do you think we'll have as much firework action uh, for the, the, the remaining ones? Or maybe we just won't even get any results, so it won't matter. Well, Sue, I think the drama is, you know, we, we saw a lot of drama in, in Iowa. And I think the reality is that the, that the Democratic Party establishment is terrified of Bernie Sanders. I mean, he has a huge following among young people. He's built this incredible fundraising organization. You know, he commands the Internet. You know, he's crusty and irascible. <laughs> but they do not want class warfare. And they don't want a war against Wall Street. And, you know, while health care for all, you know, may sound good to Canadians because we've had those policies for 50 years. Uh, I, I don't think the Democratic establishment wants the insurance industry disrupted and the chaos that would come from that. So I think they're terrorized uh, by the prospects of, uh, of Bernie winning. And I think what they've been doing is they've tried to coalesce around a centrist cab candidate and what so so i think the reality was they were going with joe biden and what iowa did was it basically put a question mark around mm -hmm. biden because biden really lost that election so we move on to new hampshire uh, what are we going to be seeing in the, over the next uh, a couple of stops any big changes like we're hearing a lot about uh, uh, pete Buttigieg too so which is going to be the front runner in, in the next two months here well, Andrew, that's the that's the great question. I I think in Iowa they were trying Pete Buttigieg on for size, and he's you know will he be that centrist candidate, and that that the party can rally around, and so you know he he's very articulate. I mean he's very smooth, and he's an outsider. I mean he's outside of Washington and and outside of the establishment. It doesn't look like uh, he looks new. And he's been very, very honest. Like when he, like he's, he's incredibly authentic in that if he failed at something, he says, look, I failed. I couldn't put it together. And people find that very refreshing. But, you know, back to planet Earth, I mean, he's he, all he, all the experience he's had has been to be a mayor of a small city roughly the size of Lethbridge. I think a lot of people were shocked when he came out on top in, in Iowa. Yeah, it, 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 I think it was shocking. But what we have in new, going forward in New Hampshire, uh, you know, is will can they stop Bernie? Uh, will Biden's candidacy just implode at this point and will he be replaced uh by pete Buttigieg as the as the big centrist candidate all of that is being sorted out and i think iowa gave us a really good picture of the dynamics of that race and, and i'm sure donald trump is just laughing into you know saying hey keep fighting it out democrats because it just takes the pressure off me thanks for joining us david <laughs> always love to get your perspective thanks sue thanks andrew david Terra is professor of communication studies at mount royal 
812 on the morning news. Uh, you know what? We hear about the latest diets, uh, talking with your friends on social media, whether it's low-calorie items in the grocery stores or the latest, I believe it's called the keto craze. You see these things, uh, but what are they doing to our bodies, these extreme diets? We're joined by registered dietitian Deanna Cook to learn more. Good morning, Deanna. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Let's uh, start with the latest big-name diet trend, keto. What What is a keto-based diet, and uh, you know, is it good for us? Right. So a keto-based diet, as you know, is really trendy at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's a really high-fat diet, very low carbohydrate, and really moderate protein. So instead of using sugars as the fuel for our body, it turns fat into ketones to use for energy. And there's more and more evidence coming out about this all the time, so we have to stay really on top of it. Um, so basically our concerns as registered dietitians is that it's a really low-calorie diet um, and it significantly, significantly reduces whole food groups, which might result in poor gut health, um, reduced vitamins, and could lead to deficiencies. And the real rigidity around the keto diet can lead to some social isolation and some obsessive eating patterns. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, you really have to be on top of this type of diet and it's not for everybody. And I think that's the problem, right, is we kind of get focused on something because one person says this is the greatest thing, you've got to do it. So there are a lot of them that really can harm our bodies in the end, aren't there? Yeah, exactly right. So there is no particular diet that is like a one-size-fits-all. So the concerns with really extreme dieting is they all seem to restrict those calories, which can have a really long-term effect on our metabolism. They cut out whole food groups, and they can lead to that social isolation piece, which then will lead to perpetual dieting and not being able to sustain a healthy eating pattern. Well, from keto, let's move to paleo, the other uh, (laughs) O diet out there right now. What's the difference between a keto diet and a paleo-based diet? Right, so a paleo-based diet is based on that paleolithic era um, of that hunter-gatherer style of dieting, which these days, we're not really hunter-gathering a lot of the time. So it does have some very positive, so it reduces high, highly processed foods, really high sugar foods. But again, it has those commonalities with other fad diets. So what we really need to do when we meet with these kinds of diets is we need to look at what they're providing for us, what patients' priorities are, and provide people with the most up-to-date research on these things so that people can make informed decisions. But again, we have that sustainable, long-term, healthy eating pattern going to take us out of that yo-yo dieting. How about raw food or clean eating? Are those the same thing? Are they two different ones? Absolutely. So raw food and clean eating, real buzzwords at the moment. Mm-hmm. So the raw, raw diet is a plant-based diet that may or may, do, may not include some raw eggs and dairy. Um, so... It's based on the belief that cooking food reduces their nutritional value. Um, And we know that that isn't really the case. Um, Our stomach seems to do that anyway once food hits it. Um, So we need to figure out what, again, is best for us. Same with that clean eating. We don't want to be restricting food groups, whole food groups, because that can lead to nutritional deficiencies. So at the Calgary Foothills Primary Care Network, you can have a one-on-one, free one-on-one appointment with a dietitian where, again, we can meet you where you're at provide you with the research and make some really good choices that may have some of the aspects of these diets in them, but have a sustainable long-term effect on your health. I'm sorry, I thought you said free one-on-one appointment. <laughs> um, can you give us the information on how we can get uh, get hooked up with that? Absolutely. So we have free one-on-one appointments with a registered dietitian. We also have free workshops with registered dietitians. So people can look online for those at cfpcn.ca or they can call the number one eight five five seven nine two three seven two six. Another way to get in contact with us is just talking to your family doctor. We know that your family doctor is the main hub of your health, 
and they can really provide you with lots of resources, dietitians, health management nurses, clinical pharmacists, social workers, mental health counsellors, whatever it is for you at that point in time. Deanna, yes or no answer, and I'm really hoping that it's a yes, but I have a feeling it's not going to be maple syrup diet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yes, yes or no? Give me, give it to me. <laughs> She's not going to give it to you. Diet. I'm not going to give it to you because it's not a, again a one size fits all for everyone. I just want um, you to say yes. You can live on maple <laughs> syrup, but I have a feeling that's not the case. <laughs> we can't live on just one thing alone. We know that for sure. Fair enough. So I think eat, eat healthily and you know just do a good job and the best you can. And in fact, cfpcn.ca to uh, have a nutritionist help you out. Thanks for joining us, Deanna. Appreciate no it. No worries. Thanks for having me. Deanna, Bye now. Deanna Cook is a registered dietitian with the Calgary Foothills Primary Care Network. Think of it as Golden Agers going for the gold. The all-seniors games kicked off on Monday with participants taking part in competition across the country. With details on the nationwide event, we're joined by Rana Goldberg, event coordinator for all-seniors games. Good morning, Rana. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time. Now, I understand this was your brainchild. How did you come up with the idea? Well, about 12 years ago, I thought... Let's bring something into the residents that's going on in the world that they could relate to. So we did the Boston Marathon satellite site, and I got the mayor of Boston involved and our mayor involved. I'm located in Winnipeg, so we had the Manitoba Marathon pennies. We had special guests as the water table people. Uh, one of my friends who's a dentist donated T-shirts that look like the Boston Marathon T-shirts, only they had orthopedic shoes. And that was the beginning of the games. That's our Monday's non-competitive walk and roll. We had all these games in our residence. And um, people are a little reluctant if they don't really know how to play. So I thought this would be an ideal way for people to get to know each other, the most isolating time of the year, and to, for them to learn new skills. So that's how the games were born. May I ask how old you are, Rana? How old am I? Mm-hmm. I'm 66 this and, year. And are, have you just always been athletic and you like to get out and do things? Um, maybe. I mean, I always like to be um, active, but it's not like, it's just part of my life. Mm -hmm. It's not like in January when you make a resolution, I'm going to go to the gym. It's just part of my everyday. So did you just find there there weren't enough athletic events or, you know, ways for, for older folks to get out and do these things? I think people don't know what they're capable of unless you present it in a really safe and comfortable environment. So to have people start walking the hallways and having incentives, like uh, this year we have traditions as our theme. So on the walls as they're walking, each of the residents have the same setup pretty much. So it's a mile inside the residence that they're walking. And on the walls are different people's traditions. So if you have three floors, you want to go up and see Mrs. Jones's tradition that she's passing on to her kids and her grandkids and her great grandkids. So one year we had heroes and that was 
so incredibly amazing. We had one man who wrote about how his daughter was his hero and all these amazing, amazing things. And then right before the games, he passed, and we were able to give his daughter how he really felt. So let's talk about some of the uh, events that the seniors are taking part in. As the games have expanded, what, what's on this year's docket? Well, this year we added uh, ladder golf and petanque atout, which came to us from our Quebec sisters. So it's like a board with holes in it, and each of the holes has a number on it. And you sort of bowl the ball and try and sink it into the numbers. So you can do it standing or sitting. We have bocce shuffleboard on friday uh, we always have cognitive skill games so this year we have jeopardy which is so incredibly fun and amazing it's like on the theater's big screen and then uh each residence can choose their board or card game so some people have poker and some people have bridge but And then we have the closing ceremonies on Friday where the medals are presented. Now, we have three medals for national events. So we just had uh, Wee Bowling um, yesterday, and that took a national event. So our gold winner was in Saskatoon, and our bronze winner was in Saskatoon, and our um, silver winner was in um, Stratford, Ontario. And so um, we have Petanque is a national event, so we'll find out who is the best across the country today. And then tomorrow is the ladder golf. So it's really exciting, and it's kept a secret until Friday when they mention who the national winners are. I, I just love it. It's a great idea and a great way to get folks of all ages just getting up and doing more. So good on you for starting this, Rona. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Rhonda Goldberg is the event coordinator for All Seniors Games. You can find out more at allseniorscare.com. Thanks for joining us on the Morning News Podcast. We'd love for you to join us again. Make sure you're subscribed to the Morning News Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, please rate the show. It helps us improve it for you. See you next time on the Morning News.